safe source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. We have multiple passages for the scripture reading this morning uh, from Philippians as well as from Ephesians. If you'd like to follow along, they have uh, printed the passages in the bulletin. Hear the words of the Lord. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with with me of grace." both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, you've given this word by your Holy Spirit through men that you've raised up. And you've preserved this word over the years so that we, by your grace, might be encouraged by it. Lord, that we might live by it, that we might hide it into our heart and and fold it into our lives for it to be a lasting influence and for it to be a transformation as Paul says, to equip us for every good work, to equip us to love in every circumstance, in every event, in every relationship. Lord, thank you for such a powerful agent, which this word is your word. It, is, it comes from you, Lord. It, it unveils your glory and your beauty, and particularly it shows us Jesus Christ. That is its Glory that is its power in our lives, that is its influence for us, that it conveys to us our precious Savior Christ. And so, Lord, we pray, having given it and, Lord, having preserved it for us, we pray now that your Holy Spirit who gave it would apply it to our hearts, that we would be different people because of your word. We ask it for the glory of Jesus, that we might show forth his glory in our lives. Amen. One of the great struggles in the Christian life 
that we've talked about, <clears throat> we began talking about last week, is this matter of, uh, on the one hand, God desiring from us a broken and contrite heart, as he describes it in many places in Scripture, not just initially, but as a way of life, we're to have this brokenness. As we read in the Beatitudes, it begins by saying, the members of the kingdom of Christ look like this. They are poor in spirit, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And God even says in Isaiah 57, Here's where I dwell in a high and lift, exalted place and with the contrite and lowly of heart. So it's an ongoing, humble, broken attitude that we bring before him that we have in our hearts. But we are at the same time called to the most vigorous action. We're to run the race. Paul says, I run so to win, indicating that I exert every fiber of my being. He talks about boxing and wrestling and putting sin to death and warfare. It's like completely hurling himself into the battle. We likened the blue painted Scotsmen who are in Braveheart, that that's really our attitude, charging into the war every day of our life, every minute of our life in a sense, however that might manifest itself in our lives. So the ones who are broken are also the most active and engaged. They come together. The truly broken are the people who are most engaged in the warfare. So you might put it simply this, that we start with a I can't, but we end with I can. Because Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But to leave either of those out would be to really destroy the Christian life in a sense. To say, to just walk up to God and say, I can, uh, is to be judged for our own self-righteousness, our self-importance. Not to say our false sense of who we are as human beings and our brokenness. But to end and stay at I can't is a cover for sin, a cover for self. Uh, to say, oh, I'm just so weak, I can't really make any progress, and we just continue to wallow in sin. And a lot of us like that. It's real comfortable. Uh, for those of you kind of know Romans 7, we like to use Romans 7 as a cover for just staying the same however long we can. And that is an abomination to God. Because Paul says, by His grace, by the marvelous change and transformation of Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit, I can do not just some things, but all things. So, it leaves you no place to hide. It doesn't exalt you because we begin with, I can do nothing. I can do nothing, as Jesus says. That's why I must abide in Christ or I have no hope of producing fruit. But he says, if you abide in me and I in you, my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. So amazing things can happen in every single believer's life in terms of change. Much fruit pouring forth from your life, even though we continue to be the broken. So the broken abide and bear much fruit. So we began to talk last week about the implication that God is working in us, that it is God. Because that's the emphasis in that second passage in Philippians 12, uh, verse 13. For it is God who is at work. 
And I, I think I quoted one text that put that at the end because the one who is working in you is God. That's one way to emphasize it. And the Greek emphasizes it by putting it up front. So we want to look at that. What does that mean that it is God who is at work? And two things I'll just go over this morning. First is what is being done? And this will be an interesting thing looking at Philippians 1 because it's just amazing how Philippians 1 lines up with our mission statement as a church. And then secondly, we will look more directly, who is the one doing it? What is being done in our lives? And then who is the one doing it? Well, obviously, the common idea expressed in all three of these passages is something to do with the word work. And it says it in different ways, doesn't it? Uh, Philippians 1 says, there's a good work in you that's been begun, and it will continue progressively all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ. So a a begun, unending, constant, uh, determined work in our lives. Uh, Philippians 2 describes it this way, God is presently working in you, both to work so that you want to do His will, and then you actually do His will. So it doesn't leave you a hollow, hypocritical shell just going through the motions and and just outward actions. No, you will want to do His will, but it also doesn't leave you at the point where you're just wishing and hoping and thinking and desiring. You actually do it. That's wonderful. It's the whole package, inside and out. He's working so that we will do His will. And then Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way, we're his workmanship. So he's begun a good work that he will finish. He is working in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Hey, you're his workmanship. You're his art piece that he has taken under his hands and and now is, is forming. Romans 14, 20, in describing a believer, describes him as the work of God. And then another passage you just need to keep in... Whenever you think about Philippians 2, 12, and 13, always think of Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Right? No, just kidding. Oh, quit throwing these verses out at me. Um, Hebrews 13 has this phrase that's wonderful. It says, "...working in us that which is pleasing in His sight." That's just a parallel, a sister passage. "...working in us that which is pleasing in His sight." working in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. Same thing said in in, in a different way. So I've said here, trusting and trying God's workplace. We are God's workplace. What a marvelous, amazing thing that you have become the workplace of God. Now, I want to answer first this question, what is he actually doing in this work? And we get this uh, from the Philippians 1 passage here. Uh, We could look at the Philippians 2. We did some of that last week. But I just want to look at Philippians 1 briefly. He calls it a good work in verse 6. Now, the verses aren't here, but um, verse 6 is the one that says, uh, I'm sure of this. You see that after a couple of sentences. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, what is he talking about in the first place? Well, he says in verse 5, right before that, he speaks of their partnership in the gospel. And then later, right after that, you are partakers with me of grace in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, some think that he's primarily talking about their financial participation, which was 
strong. Uh, they're the ones that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 8 as he's writing to the Corinthians in South Greece and says, hey, let me tell you about the guys up in Thessalonica and, and uh, Philippi. Mainly he's talking about the ones in Philippi, these Macedonians, and how graciously they've given uh, to the cause of the poor in, uh, in Jerusalem. And also they were all so active in their participation in Paul's ministry, he refers to it later in chapter 4. So, some people would say, this is the primary thing that he's talking about, your participation in the gospel financially. But I go with Gordon Fee and several other commentators that say, well, that's one thing, but it's much wider than that. If you'll look in uh, Philippians 1, you'll see later in verse 27 what he says, that you are standing firm... He says, verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So the idea here is not just that you are participating and then minding your own business. Oh, at least we sent money to Paul. You know, that's not the idea. It's the whole life participation in the gospel. And one part that manifested itself was naturally they were supporting Paul in his ministry because their whole lives were devoted to the gospel. They were standing in the gospel. They were living out the gospel. They were proclaiming the gospel. They had the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ in them. And they were living a life of love with one another. And they were suffering for the gospel. As he says just past that in Philippians, it's not only been given you the privilege to suffer, uh, to believe, but to suffer for this gospel. So they were all in. They were participating with Paul in the gospel in the fullest sense, standing with him, believing with him, excited with him, longing for the same things that he longed for, having the same desire that the glory of Christ be made known by their lives and by their proclamation. So this verse 6 then, uh, as he says, God has done a good work in you and he's begun this good work and finished it. It's interesting when you think about work, we kind of tend to think of it as a general sanctification statement. And certainly it would really ultimately encompass everything about your life. But primarily the manifestation of the Christian's life that he's talking about here is your love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is about Christ. It is the manifestation of Christ, the proclamation of Christ. And Christ comes to us in the gospel. It is the word of truth as Paul describes it. And so it conveys to us the very love of God in Christ. It transforms us and we begin to conform to its ways. We live out that love with one another and that love bursts out into a dark world. And so the whole work of sanctification must and does manifest itself in our passion for the gospel. Now, I, I believe it encompasses everything about the Christian life because I think Paul is making a general statement here. I'm sure that he began a good work, that good work is, is a large word, but it must in the first place as a primary thing indicate that, that his work is seen in relationship to the gospel. 
And then also notice in verses 9 through 11 that we read, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That must be a primary reference to the work that he says will continue in your life to the day of Christ Jesus because he prays specifically for it, that your love will abound. So that must be a primary thing that's occurring in this work in you is this love that will increase in your life. And of course, he says your love for one another. Uh, it says in general, but always in Scripture, there's a primary reference to one another because it's hardest to live at home. It's hardest to love the people that you know. I've always said, well, the reason I hadn't had an argument with any of you ladies is I've never lived with you, you know. <laughs> Not because you're who you are, because I'm who I am, you know. And we all have had arguments with our spouses, and I dare say you've probably had very few arguments with other men or women in the church. Why? Because they're all good and you're living with a bad person. No. You know that's not true. You just hadn't had a chance. You just hadn't had a chance yet. So even though the difficulty of churches living together and sometimes they struggle and have conflict, you also realize it's because we're living together. And if we're really living together and we're working together, we're going to missions trips and getting involved in mercy and service together, then we're really going to have some conflict. So conflict's not always a bad sign. It's a sign that we're starting to really rub shoulders with one another. We're starting to get to know each other. We're starting to see each other's other side. You know, we're riding down the backside of the the, uh, town in the railroad tracks, not on Main Street. We're starting to see the backside of the buildings. That's a good thing. I'm not saying conflict itself, but it's an indication. And, of of course, that's why constantly in Scripture, the primary emphasis is loving one another. And then, of course, loving the world. But the point is that we are called into fellowship with God, but we are called into a community of love to build this community of light and love as an example of the love of Christ in operation so that we are a visible demonstration of the gospel to the world. And that's why right here as he's talking about gospel, 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 he says that your love may abound more and more. Because it's the central thing communicated in the gospel is the love of God in Christ. And it's the specific thing that is accomplished among his people that we're built into a people of love. And then Jesus, of course, can say in John 13, by this they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a major tool of the ongoing gospel, and so naturally he's talking about that here. Well, isn't it interesting that our mission statement is nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people by proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're nurturing a joy in God that causes us to gladly spend ourselves for one another. It's living out this gospel. It's proclaiming this gospel. So in the first place, I just want to underscore this, that the work of God in your life, your life will mean your involvement in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's almost synonymous with Christ. You can't talk about that I love Christ without saying, I love the gospel of Christ. Because it, it tells me about Christ. It is, in a sense, Christ, you see. That's why Paul can say, I knew nothing among you, Corinthians, save Christ and Him crucified. That, that's, all, that's all you got from me was Christ. Well, because he just preached the gospel. 
again and again. And wherever he was preaching in the Bible, it was always oriented to finally uh, open up something else about Jesus Christ. And I would tell you, and this is a hard thing, but I, I want to say it, and I, and I think the Scriptures mean for us to say something like this. If you have no concern for the gospel of Jesus Christ, no concern for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to wonder about the work of God in your life. Really. Because he says, he began this good work in you and he'll continue. What is the work? You're participating in the gospel in the whole of your life and you're abounding in the love of the gospel. No concern for the gospel just a minor attachment to the church. Maybe you show up on Sunday mornings and that's it. And you don't think about Jesus or the gospel or the church's life or the church as a whole trying to get the gospel out into the world. That's a very, very serious problem. Because he began this work in them. He begins this work in his people. They love Christ at least, not perfectly, and I wish we all could love him more, love him more sincerely, love him more passionately, but sincerely we do love him in some way. And we love the message of Christ. And we want other people to know this message. We are about the gospel. And that's what we've said. That's the mission of this church. We're nurturing a joy for love by proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. So that's the work. That is the work that is, that is stated here in Philippians 1. Now, I think it's an encouraging thing for us to close and ask this question, who is it that's working in us? And we look at, and it, you may think with the small time remaining, we don't need four more points, but they won't be as long as you think. So I don't want to discourage you at this point. Sometimes it's like, Four more points. <laughs> I'm going to hibernate now. <laughs> I'm not going to listen anymore. Thank you. That's enough. <clears throat> but stick with me. I think you'll find this is very, very encouraging. At least it's been very encouraging to me. It's given me a little different way to look at God's work. And so I'm trying to compare him to like a worker, you know, just any kind of worker in any kind of job. And, and I think the scriptures would encourage this to think uh, creatively about the fact that God is at work. What does it mean that uh, He is presently at work, that I'm actually His workmanship? First of all, I want you to think about the knowledge and wisdom of God as He's working in you. Do you think that this God of creation knows what He's doing in your life? Do you think? And not only you individually, but think of him because these, these passages not only apply to us individually, they must apply to us personally, or they couldn't have any corporate good, but they have a corporate reference constantly. So it's you all, y'all, you know, as we say in Alabama. So there's the, the work that God is doing in each of us, but it's a work he's doing in all of us to form us into this kind of people into love or, in the next chapter, into humility with one another. So, as you think about these possibilities, think about not only does he know what he's doing in me, but does he know what he's doing in our church? You see, for people who believe him, the sky's the limit of what God will do in their midst. You know, the question was that Jesus said... Uh, the, the, the problem was when he didn't work miracles in some places was they had no faith. No belief. 
But to, to believe, to expect Him to do great things in our midst because we, we're thinking always, God is at work in my life and our life. Well, does, do you think He knows what He's doing? Do you think He understands all the problems involved in your life and our life? Do you think He gets the big picture? You think he overlooks things? You think he gets lost in the details or can't see the forest for the trees? I don't think so. Do you think God knows what he's doing? Do you think God has a plan for you and us? Do you think God knows how to stick to his plan? And do you think he knows where he is in his work? Sometimes we look up, you know, we'd be in the middle of something. We don't even know where we are in it, you know. We don't know where people are and what's going on in the job. And sometimes you've been at restaurants or other things. You think, you guys don't know what's going on. Well, God always knows what's going on in your life. Isn't that wonderful? He knows the whole scope of everything that you and we need. He, he lacks nothing in wisdom and knowledge. And unlike the U.S. military that has done so many... I'm thinking more of the leadership. We didn't really know what we were getting into in Iraq, did we? We just didn't. I mean, whatever else you say, whether you support or don't support the war, the fact is we had no idea that five years later this is what would be going on. Nobody thought that. Well, that didn't happen with God. Thankfully, he didn't get into your life and say, man, if I don't know what Darwin was really like, I never would have started this. You know? Because if he, if he would, he, I mean, if he could say it, he would say it with me. He would say, I, if I had known... And many of us with projects, you know, I've heard people say with certain projects they understand, man, if I'd known what I was getting into. Thankfully, God knows what he's getting into from the beginning. He knows what he's doing. My uh, brother-in-law, Tim Morrow, uh, now his, his dad and brother, uh, uncle used to own it, but now he and his brother own the largest non-union electric uh, contract business in Birmingham, Alabama. And so Tim goes and bids you know, $2 million jobs. And, and he's, I've, I've asked him question after question the details of all these tiny little things that add up to $2 million, and he's got to hit it pretty close. He's got to be competitive and yet make money. And, and I think of that, of you think God knows what he's doing? You think he's estimated and he's going to do a good job? Yes. Have confidence. You think God is creative? You think he can do this in any situation? You think he has many ways to solve? Yes. So, the knowledge and wisdom of God. Then think of the strength of God. Does he have the ability? Is there any lack of resources in God? Does God not have control over everything? Does he have unlimited tools and instruments? Is he in control of every influence and circumstance and event in your life? Yes. He has all wisdom, he has all power, and he is at work in your life, the creator of the world. Please, brothers and sisters, think on that. Be encouraged by that. Thirdly, do you think he has the determination to finish the job? Well, we love that. We, we honor that, the determination uh, of doing something. In fact, along these lines... Uh, Michelangelo said, if people knew how hard I had to work to gain my mastery, it wouldn't seem wonderful at all. They just knew how hard I worked. They wouldn't be, whoa, you're just so amazing. He said, I guess so. I've just about killed myself learning this. 
If you work this hard, you probably could do it too. That's, how he's, that's his thought. No, it's not true, of course, but he's making a point. How hard do you think God is working in our life? What is it like when unlimited energy and determination is devoted to doing us good? And so in his great strength, uh, in his great knowledge, his great determination, is there any lack of tenacity and persistence in God? Is he thorough? Does he have metal and backbone and stamina? Does he have diligence? Does he have unlimited energy, zeal, spunk, doggedness? Is he steady? Does he desire it? Think of this God that's at work in you. And finally... For some people, being under uh, a boss is pretty bad because of their attitude. But this is a God of unlimited compassion. This is a God of tenderness and kindness and patience and concern. This is a God who is sympathetic and forbearing. He cherishes you. He nurtures you. He longs for your good. You fill His heart every moment of the day. How glorious that He is at work in your life. And, and it's an encouraging thing to me that Hebrews 13, as we read, says, He works in us that which is pleasing in your sight. It really is pleasing in His sight, what He works in us. It really is. It's not perfect. But He works things in your life that are pleasing to Him because His hands are on you. You're His workmanship. I'm amazed as I spoke on this verse some this week, that passage in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that says, He's transforming us from glory to glory. Something in you and me, God can say, there's glory there. There's glory in you, and that glory is increasing. And you're manifesting the, the glory of Christ more and more in your life. Why? Because I am transforming you. Because I have you in my hands. Dear people, what a glorious thing to be in the hands of the living God, to be His workplace. And if you don't know Christ, I would urge you to think about this passage in John 15 where Jesus says, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And the idea is that imagine a a doctor going to a village in South America, and, and we've used this illustration before, but imagine him going to this village, and there, this village is full of sick people, and this doctor is ready and able. He has the medicines. He's dedicated the months ahead to sacrifice everything, even his life, in order to save those people. But they never come to them, him and put themselves under his care and follow his instructions and or under his regimen. I mean, he has compassion. He's left everything in order to care for them, but they refuse and they won't trust him. Jesus says, abide in my love by entrusting your life into my care. Could there be anything, uh, any other way that you would live your life than to say, you know, I think I want to be under the care of God. (laughs) 
I want this God of love who sacrificed His own Son, this Son who bore the punishment for sin so that you could be forgiven of your sin. He's, he's born punishment and, bore the, and, and died to sin and rose to new life so that you could die to your way of living and, and you could rise to a new life of love. And He offers that freely. You don't have to earn it. He says, I'll do it for you. I'll conform you to my love, the love that you see in my sacrifice on the cross. Don't turn from that. I I urge you, don't turn from that. Come and embrace Him and trust Him. And brothers and sisters, (laughs) be encouraged that God has His hands on your life. Let us pray. Father, we praise You. We praise You that You would lay hold of us that you would carve us out of the side of the mountain, so to speak, that you would begin chiseling us and forming us and making us into something beautiful after your image. When we had, in the words of Scripture, prostituted ourselves with our idols, we had brought in other gods right before your face and loved and worshipped other things beside you. Lord, still you would show us mercy in Christ. Lord, we would afresh entrust ourselves to you and have a fresh understanding, Lord, of what you are doing in our lives. And, oh Lord, we pray that we will not, we will not succumb to the great danger of which is not in setting our aim too high, but setting our aim too low and achieving that mark. Forgive us, Lord, that we would be coasters in the, in the Christian life, that we would drift, that we would not run, that we would not fight, that we would not strive, that this week we could be different in ways and next week different and next week and next week and next week because why? God is at work in my life. Our church could be different week after week because God is at work in our lives. Bless us, Lord. Save us. Save us. Give us hearts that truly trust you and expect you to do great things in us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away then shall my soul with rapture trace